0: Good evening, it is 5pm and I'm CFRC's broadcast journalist Christina Laurie, and you're listening to Kingston Currents here on CFRC 101.9 FM based in Kingston, Ontario. CFRC's news programming is brought to you by the local journalism initiative, Queen's University and What'll I Wear at 732 Princess Street. Now let's get into this week's Limestone local news. The city of Kingston declares intimate partner violence an epidemic. At the city council meeting on Tuesday, October 17th, the motion to declare intimate partner violence an epidemic in the city came before council and was unanimously voted through. Council heard a presentation delivered by Leigh Martins with Kingston Interval House, as well as Deirdre Reddick, chair of the Kingston Frontenac Anti-Violence Coordinating Committee
1: to our survivors. Um, Language is so powerful. If we're saying that we believe that this is happening uh, in our community, that this is happening across Ontario, across the country, around the world, um, then it's going to take some of that shame and isolation away. Um, And we saw so much of that during the pandemic where our phone lines were quiet because women couldn't make those calls. Um, And now we're seeing those numbers are back up again and uh, we just want our community to show support for these Uh, people that are experiencing intimate partner violence.
0: Six provinces and over 30 municipalities have passed specific legislation relating to domestic violence, not including Ontario. Over 30 municipalities have also passed a resolution to declare intimate partner violence an epidemic and more are in the process. This motion also comes after the provincial government rejected the recommendation to name intimate partner violence as an epidemic.
1: Um, So, unfortunately, our provincial government chose not to state IPV as an epidemic, um, stating the language uh, epidemic should go with health concerns. So, unfortunately, at this time, this is why all of our municipalities are saying that's the wrong answer, that we do need to make it an epidemic, that it's happening in our communities across Ontario.
2: The province, as you heard earlier, rejected the very first recommendation. to formally declare intimate partner violence as an epidemic. The province explained that it would not be considered an epidemic as it is not an infectious or
0: communicable disease. Councilors discussed the motion passionately for the latter portion of last night's meeting.
3: I'm absolutely supporting this amendment. And what I wanna speak to is the fact that we need to make sure that it's simply not another motion, that we start to live this and act this. And that's contingent upon all of us as community members recognizing this and realizing that the signs of domestic abuse are often low level. That we often don't listen, we often don't hear, we don't act soon enough. So we've talked about the impact of um, fatalities, deaths in the community, but we haven't talked about the other costs to us in lost aspirations and dreams and hopes. in children seeing this, and early childhood trauma that occurs from children being subjected to this. Um, I support it being called an epidemic because it is infectious. It infects all of us. The attitudes that we bring forward infect everyone. And each time we express disbelief when somebody talks about this, each time that we don't consider it to be real, each time we brush it aside, we infect the next person with that attitude. And so we don't take it seriously. It's why this has gone on generation after generation after generation.
2: As community leaders, I think it's important for us to be clear in our message to the people living in these complicated relationships. You are not alone. In fact, there are so many others who are quietly going through similar experiences. It may not be a communicable disease, but intimate partner violence is an epidemic. we. As a municipal council cannot change the provincial justice system, we can adopt recommendation number 10 from the coroner's inquest and direct staff to include intimate partner violence in the implementation of our community safety and well-being plan.
0: As for next steps, a copy of this motion will be sent to Doug Ford, Premier of Ontario, Sylvia Jones, MPP, Minister of Health, Ted Chu, MPP for Kingston and the Islands, and John Jordan, MPP for Lanark, Frontenac and Kingston. Along with this, recommendations regarding gender-based violence and intimate partner violence will be integrated within the city of Kingston's community safety and well-being plan.
2: Thanks to my colleagues for sharing and for listening Uh, I think if one thing we can agree on is that intimate partner violence is not okay and it impacts a lot of people and you don't always know about it because people are really good at hiding things so watch for the signs, offer support Spread some love, and as Councillor Glenn said, we need to shift some attitudes and we need to get our provincial government to make some changes because the system also needs to change.
0: The Food Sharing Project, in partnership with RBC Wealth Management, TENFED, and Kids Against Hunger Canada gathered volunteers at the Community Food Redistribution Warehouse on Saturday, October 21st to assemble 2,000 food packages to be distributed in Kingston and the surrounding area. In about two and a half hours, volunteers packed 2,000 packages which amounts to 12,000 meals to be distributed to schools and community organizations in the kfl area over the coming weeks. I sat down with Brenda Moore, chair of the Food Sharing Project, to discuss this event which they ran for the first time on Saturday. So would you like to introduce yourself and share a bit about your role with the Food Sharing Project?
4: I'm Brenda Moore, and I'm the chair of the Food Sharing Project. And uh, we provide the breakfast, lunch, and hearty snack programs that operate in every school across KFLNA. So you had a big event on Saturday. I was wondering if you'd like to tell folks about that. We had a really exciting, unique event on Saturday. Um, we haven't done anything like this before. And it was um, a fabulous partnership between RBC Wealth Management, um, the Food Sharing Project, Project and a company in Peterborough called Kids Against Hunger Canada. And what uh, Kids Against Hunger Canada does is they produce um, a really nutritious rice meal pack that is um, packaged up by volunteers and then available for distribution in um, anywhere uh, in any community. They they um, do Canadian communities and they do international communities. Awesome! And how many volunteers came out on Saturday? We had. 36 volunteers, and um, they were from uh, RBC, they were from Rotary Clubs across the the area. Um, There were some food sharing project board members there, there were some youth from um, Boys and Girls Club Southeast as well. Awesome, good stuff. And how many meals were packed by the end of the day? So in about two and a half hours, we packed um, over 2000 meal packs and each meal pack um, contains rice, Um, dehydrated vegetables, dehydrated vegetable protein, and then um, a beautiful combination of um, uh, vitamins and minerals and a a sauce that makes it taste marvelous. And um, so each one of those meal packs feeds six people. So our 2000 packages are going to feed about 12,000 kids. That's fantastic
0: to hear. And are those being sent out this week or over a certain length of time? Yeah, they'll be sent
4: out over the next few weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, because this was a brand new project for us, we weren't exactly um, sure about the distribution process immediately. So what we're doing now that we've got those um, meals, um, those meal packs ready to go, is we're now reaching out to schools to see if school, which schools have the capacity to make a hot meal for their students. Most secondary schools can do that because they have um, often they have culinary programs or or a cafeteria um, that they can use but elementary schools don't most of them don't tend to have that so it's going to take a little bit of um, creativity on the part of some schools to figure out how to um, produce that or sorry how to um, cook up um, that meal and serve it to their kids but so schools will be receiving it. Um, it will also go into the um, weekend food boxes that Lion Hearts does for families. And so then it will end up on some family tables. And um, the Boys and Girls Club is also um, up for using it when they have their PA day programs and after school programs where they're feeding their, their kids that come there for a hot meal. So it'll be a little bit of everywhere. Moore
0: also described the overall energy at the event.
4: It was it was a marvelous day and it was it was so great like people were having fun they, 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 mm-hmm. there was lots of laughing and, and conversation and and it, it felt I think it felt really good for people to do something so concrete. Um, mm-hmm. We're struggling with such a huge um, level of food insecurity in our community and sometimes you get bogged down in that. So it's really uplifting to do something that you know is going to have such a direct impact for kids.
0: To learn more or contribute to the Food Sharing Project's ongoing initiatives, you can visit foodsharingproject.org homecoming weekend an overall positive experience in the University District. City of Kingston Bylaw Enforcement and Kingston Police have released a statement regarding homecoming weekend, including numbers of tickets and fines issued during celebrations. While fines and charges were on par with previous years, the tone of the post-homecoming message was significantly more positive than the past few years. Homecoming in 2021 and 2022 prompted releases from Kingston police regarding, quote, aggressive, volatile, and disrespectful behavior, end quote, directed at officers. After 2021's homecoming weekend, Mayor Patterson stated, quote, to say we are frustrated, angry, and exhausted only begins to describe the feelings among police, enforcement staff, paramedics, hospital personnel, the community, and myself. I don't know how to make the message any clearer, end quote. However, while there was still the residential parties and the Aberdeen Street Party, which has come to be expected over homecoming weekend, this year saw more cooperation with enforcement and no major issues or injuries, according to the release by bylaw and police. Acting chief of police, Scott Fraser described it as, quote, an overall positive weekend in the university district, end quote, stating that attendees were mostly respectful and understood the role of the police. A nuisance party was declared on Aberdeen Street from Johnson to Earl around 1 p.m. on Saturday, October 21st, and the crowd was cleared throughout the afternoon with the nuisance party declaration lifted at 4 p.m. The largest fines doled out were two $2,000 fines for hosts of nuisance parties. Other fines issued include a total of $151,500 fines issued for failure to leave premises after being ordered to disperse between both bylaw enforcement and Kingston Police, alongside these fines, 147 court summons were issued and two arrests were made. While Homecoming Weekend has passed, the University District Safety Initiative remains in effect until November 1st at 12 a.m., reaching over Halloween weekend. This includes the nightly closures at Gordowney Pier, which will be back in effect from Thursday, October 26th to Sunday, October 29th. Regarding the closures at Breakwater Park and Gordowney Pier, over Homecoming Weekend, Curtis Smith, the city's director of licensing and enforcement, stated, we're disappointed to have had to issue tickets to individuals trespassing at Gordowney Pier. There was a blatant disregard for signs prohibiting use of the park, alcohol plus open water is an incredibly dangerous combination and we put these measures in place to keep people safe." With that statement, hopefully no tickets will have to be issued this upcoming weekend. The Embassy Live Music Cafe, a program of Lionhearts Inc., is announcing its first live in-person shows in Kingston since before the COVID-19 pandemic. Shows will resume on November 11th, starting at 7 p.m. at a new location, The Spire, at 82 Sydenham Street. The first night back will include embassy veterans Doug Vanderhorden, Wade Foster, and Sean McCullough. In a quote from Liam Thomas, embassy manager, we're pleased to partner with The Spire to bring back one of Kingston's favorite live music venues. We're thrilled to be welcoming back our artists, our patrons, and our partners for food, fellowship, and an intimate stage that connects them all, end quote. In a quote from Sam McLeod, General Manager at the Spire Arts and Community Hub, the Spire is honored to serve as the new home for the Embassy Live Music Cafe and expresses gratitude for our partnership with Lionhearts. Together, we are committed to providing fully accessible cultural programming that includes fair pay to artists and the promotion of Kingston's vibrant music scene, end quote. The Embassy is unlike most other live music venues. The Lionhearts Inc. team provides complimentary Embassy tickets to the local agencies that receive food, household goods, and clothing from Lionhearts. These agencies then provide those tickets to their clients who may otherwise not be able to afford them. Tickets may also be purchased at the door by anyone at a cost of $10 each. Proceeds help pay the artists and defray other program costs. Travis Blackmore, Lionheart's executive director and founder, states, When people arrive at the Embassy Live Music Cafe, there's no difference between those who can pay and those who couldn't pay. There's only great food, great entertainment, and a sense of community that can't be found at any other live music venue. End quote. In addition to live music, free food and non-alcoholic refreshments are available at the Embassy, which are also supplied by Lionheart's partners. The Embassy is unique as Kingston's only dry live music venue. There has also been high interest among artists in performing at the Embassy again since plans were initiated to resume live shows. Birds of a Feather will perform November 18th and Abby Stewart on November 25th. Three additional shows are also planned for December. Updates on future shows will be published to the Embassy Live Music Cafe's Kingston Facebook page. Once again, you can find that Facebook page under the Embassy Live Music Cafe Kingston. The Great Lakes Museum has issued an update on the arrival of the Kiwayton. The Titanic-era ship was meant to arrive in Kingston earlier this week, but experienced a few delays due to weather. However, the ship has now been confirmed as good to go. The SS Kiwayton will now be departing Hamilton on Wednesday, October 25th in the early morning, and arriving in Kingston on Thursday, October 26th, midday. More details to come on the Kingston arrival. For those in Toronto, the ship will sail by Toronto Harbour between Islands and Harbourfront likely between 10.30am and 12pm on Wednesday, October 25th. For a sail by Toronto, the ship will travel in open water inside of Lake until she comes into Kingston's harbor and eventually arrives at Kingston Dry Dock. The museum encourages folks interested to track her final voyage via marine traffic. Search for lead tugboat Molly M1. More details are to come about the exact arrival time in Kingston, but the ship will arrive from the south of Armor's Island. The anticipated arrival is 30 hours from when she leaves, most likely between 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. on Thursday. Please note that everything is weather dependent. Even with forecasts predicted, we all know that conditions can shift. When the ship does arrive, visitors are invited to view the arrival at the Great Lakes Museum. This is a reminder that flu vaccines and the new updated COVID-19 vaccines are available for eligible residents. As the winter season approaches, KFLNA Public Health emphasizes the significant importance of getting a flu and new COVID-19 vaccine to protect yourself and your loved ones. High-risk individuals are currently eligible. The flu vaccine will maximize protection against the influenza virus, which is known to cause severe illness and result in hospitalization or even death among previously healthy children, older adults, or pregnant individuals. It is also important to stay up to date with your COVID-19 vaccines. The new vaccine will help to prevent severe outcomes due to COVID-19. Given that it takes approximately two weeks post-vaccination to establish immunity against influenza and COVID-19, it is safe and strongly recommended to receive both vaccines at the same time. Both vaccines are accessible at participating primary care offices and pharmacies. For those under two years of age or 65 years of age or older, KFLNA Public Health is offering appointments. You can book online at kflaph.ca vaccine or call 613 549-1232. It is recommended that all KFLNA area residents, not just the young and the elderly, get immunized when eligible. COVID 19 and flu shots for the general public aged six months and older will be available starting October 30th at participating primary care offices and pharmacies. The Cataraqui Union of Tenants has introduced a new annual fundraiser event alongside their other advocacy efforts. Founded in 2019, the Cataraqui Union of Tenants is a group of Kingstonians who advocate for tenant rights and bring awareness to housing challenges and needs in the Cataraqui community. They are currently gearing up for the launch of their new annual thrift fundraiser. In partnership with Valley Village, they will be collecting soft goods, including clothing and shoes and household items. I sat down with union members Ivan and Genoa to talk about this new fundraising initiative. Here's what they had to say. To get us started, we'd both like to introduce yourselves and chat a bit about the work you guys do with the union of tenants. So
5: I'm Genoa and I've been with the tenant union probably since 2019 when I first met Ivan. We originally started as like, a group of people who were very frustrated with the um, housing and homelessness task force, and um, sort of their inact inability to approach homelessness and housing affordability from an actually critical perspective. So that's uh, initially I met Ivan <laughs> that way. What we do is we advocate, we raise money, we educate, and uh, we feed people. And we host cool events to help educate the community and raise awareness around um, tenant rights and tenant advocacy rights, specifically surrounding affordable housing in the city of Kingston. Awesome, and Ivan?
6: Yeah, I'm a founding member too. 2019 it was, yeah, we were very outraged by the the way the city figured out a way to turn uh, a property that was left to it by an order of nuns to turn into social housing into uh a for-profit housing uh, yeah i think uh the, technically i mean I'm, I'm the general secretary of the Union of tenants general accessibility officer i think is that right you know
5: yeah and sort of the impromptu fundraising mm-hmm. organizer as well along with some other colleagues
6: it's been a while uh, we've had some As you can imagine, being in a student town, we had a little bit of turnaround over the years, but we we built a pretty strong uh, Facebook group and uh, pretty strong, you know, encampment support network. Uh, uh, We've done a lot of uh, feeding the the homeless people uh, and vulnerable people at at the... care hub there but also in in poor neighborhoods so uh there's you know we we help each other we have a facebook group where people ask questions others answer them uh we answer people's uh, queries with with distributed literature Mm -hmm uh telling people about their rights and what they can and cannot do as tenants um, yeah we feed the people we, we give people hope we we're on their side and we're fighting for housing for all for for actually affordable decent uh housing that befits a human being for everybody
0: well thank you for very much for sharing your background on your organization and your initiative and also speaking to um the current situation in kingston um you got into it a little bit but i was wondering if you could speak a bit specifically to what your fundraising efforts are going towards
5: we do have a feed the feed the people program um which is in constant need of um funds to replenish sort of i believe it's daily um food that we're providing at the integrated care hub for um, our friends that are living in the encampment and surrounding areas um But additionally, we haven't um, you know, we we've focused so much on sort of the on the ground efforts that, um, you know, this year we tried to pivot a bit and um, put some of the fundraising money's back towards um, some of of our more general operating costs. So we hold um, monthly tenant union meetings and they're open to the public. So, um, you know, small tiny fees that go towards our in-person rental space at 99 York Street, which is a community shared building. Um, And then, you know, more generally, um, sort of of the out-of-pocket expenses that I know our executive um, has been, taking on personally, which is like printing of materials, um, maintaining our website, maintaining our social media platforms and that type of thing that, you know, they're the more behind the scenes service fees that come along with advocacy work. Um, So that's really what we're trying to focus on um, with the next two fundraising initiatives.
0: Awesome. Yeah, and uh, I was wondering if you could get into exactly what those initiatives are and as well as your thrift fundraiser which is ongoing this month.
5: Yeah, so we're really excited to start hosting our annual thrift fundraiser. Um, We're doing this in partnership with the Value Village of Canada, um, but more specifically the Value Village here in Kingston. So we are looking to identify at least um, 20 people who either individually or as a group or team want to collect at least 10 collect and fill, I should say, 10 garbage bags full of soft goods. So this is anything that you can wear on your body, including shoes, and, um, you know, two boxes, at least each per person or team of household goods. Um, and we just asked that people don't collect books because they just aren't um, a good ROI for us. Um, and then People will collect their soft goods and their household items. We also have a place for people to store those if you did want to sign up. Um, people can email tenants at gmail.com um, and I can get them connected with the instruction pamphlet and drop off materials for them to get started. Um, and then in addition, we have an event coming up for Halloween, which is really fun. Um, so that's October the 28th. We're hosting at the 99 York Street Community home, I guess, or house, I should say, Uh, tickets are $10 in advance, or you can pay at the door. Um, So we're doing a film screening of Charlotte's Castle, which is a TVO documentary of the current housing crisis in Canada, but more specifically in Toronto. And we'll also be having a Halloween costume contest. So tickets come with a drink of your choice and homemade popcorn. So some cool upcoming events. If people want to, sorry, I should also add Christina that to get tickets for the event, people can visit our Instagram page at KC union of tenants. And we have a link tree there with all of our
0: links. Sounds good. And um, is this the first year you're running both of these events?
5: So uh, I think about two years ago, we did, um, an in-person sort of yard sale. Mm-hmm. Um, but just in an effort to sort of free up people's capacity we decided to um, change our approach to the thrift fundraiser and make it an annual event so that we can start to you know create more um, momentum with the movement and then also um, you know have a more regular fundraising stream for our organization
0: awesome yeah and then uh, how long is this thrift fundraiser running for
5: yeah, great question. So our final weigh in is actually December the 2nd. So any individuals or teams that do reach out to us and want to be part of it, um, we will organize as a, a group to pick up your, um, your collections, donations, um, and we'll do a final weigh in at the Kingston Valley Village that day.
0: Um, I was wondering if you had any specific goals for this thrift fundraiser in terms of whether it's numbers or turnout or anything like that. That's a really good question, Christina. So I think our goal is at least 20,
5: either individuals or teams that can put together, like I said, 10 full garbage bags, black garbage bags, and um, two household item boxes. So that's like like our minimum. If we can get people, you know, that wanna take on a team and knock door to door and hand out garbage bags with the information pamphlet, um, we have lots of different strategies for growing that number. Um, And like Ivan said, we're open to like, limitlessness. So we'll support whatever um, comes knocking and, um, you know, we're really excited about the possibility of, you know, perhaps some Queen students getting involved and some people who are really looking for a sense of belonging because the tenant union, you know, (laughs) we're a great group of people um, and um, we're always open to different ideas and
0: Yeah. Awesome. Perfect. So you have these two events coming up, um, slash, ongoing. Uh, I was wondering if you had any other events coming up or if there's a specific place where people can keep up with you guys.
5: Yeah, that's a great question. I think the best resource is our Facebook page um, because it really acts as a community where, you know, not just the executive chimes in with our expertise, but we have other community members that, you know, sort of organically support each other through um, any tenant issues that they might be having. Um, but also our Instagram is a great option. It has, like I said, all of our links to our website, to our event pages, um, to get tickets, etc. So um, personally, I like the Instagram option.
6: We have a Twitter as well, and we have a website called uh, TenantsUnite.ca is the 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 web page. We we can really use volunteers, and we could, you know, there's no limit to to how much we could grow and how much money we could spend. Uh, uh fighting this uh, goliath so on facebook we have a group and we have a page page everyone should follow those are our messages to the world but uh, group you join the group if you want to get involved that's basically the difference there are two different things so group is where we advertise our meetings and where we have our discussions
0: great okay well the call is out to cfrc listeners to so get out there get involved and look through their closets those interested in donating or becoming one of 20 community ambassadors supporting the thrift fundraiser can reach out to cataraquietenants at gmail.com. Donations will be accepted for the thrift fundraiser until the final weigh-in on December 2nd, 2023. You can learn more and keep up with the Cataractway Union of Tenants via their website and social media as provided by Ivan and Genoa. That is all things current in Kingston for this week. Thank you for listening to CFRC's Local News Programming. Brought to you by the generous support of the Community Radio Fund of Canada under the Local Journalism Initiative, Queen's University, and What'll I Wear at 732 Princess Street. Be sure to stay tuned for more CFRC programming coming up next. Dear listeners, as you may have heard, Meta, which owns Instagram and Facebook, is blocking Canadian access to all content created by news providers, including this radio station, in response to the Online Broadcasting Act. Access to local news and information matters to everyone, and while radio stations use their airwaves to keep you informed, we also use social media to share local news, events and initiatives, and even content about our upcoming programming. We need you to write your MP and convey your concerns. Learn more and find a letter template for your MP on our website, cfrc.ca.